Welcome to another episode of the Scotland's Choice podcast. The journey to our referendum is underway, so join us as we discuss how, together, we can build a fairer, more equal and prosperous Scotland. Our goal is to ensure that listeners are informed, that they are encouraged to get involved, and will hopefully inspire others to think about the possibilities for Scotland, because... As our country renews, we need to choose our own future before somebody else chooses it for us. I'm your host, Drew Hendry MP, and in this episode, I'm in conversation with John Nicholson. John is the MP for Oakle in South Perthshire, and he's the SNP Shadow Secretary of State for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport. Educated at Glasgow University and Harvard, he was a journalist before entering politics, working as the presenter of BBC Breakfast and as a reporter on Newsnight and Panorama, amongst other programmes. So, uh, John Nicholson, thank you very much for joining us today on the Scotland's Choice podcast. It's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to it. Uh, Great. Uh, John, here at Westminster, your brief is digital culture, media and sport. It's a big brief. In, In this episode, I want to ask you about Scotland's current... Uh, and future media opportunities. But is it fair to say that all four of these uh, topics are really closely connected? Yes, I think they are. And the interesting thing about the the brief is it's something that most people are passionate about. Mm. People care about their internet access. They get strong views about their media, as mm. as we know, especially mm. in our in our movement. And you know, who isn't engaged by culture? Mm-hmm. Whatever the culture, whatever culture means to you, yeah. you know, whether it's it's pop music or whether it's movies or or, or 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 classical music, people feel strongly about that. And of course, sport as well. Although sport is quite devolved, mm-hmm. as you know, and Gavin. Gavin Newlands works with me on, on sport. So it's a fascinating brief. And then I also sit on the Digital Culture, Media and Sport mm-hmm. Select Committee. And I think, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think a lot of people think that the House of Commons is all about the Yabu sucks yes. of the yeah, Prime Minister's yeah. questions, which is, let's face it, it's panto, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's not real life mm-hmm. and it's absurd. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Sometimes at Westminster you can find that you can actually do good work for mm-hmm. certain sectors. Mm-hmm. So I sit on the select committee, there's Tories and Labour members as well. And if you develop a good reputation with them, sometimes you can do some interesting mm-hmm. uh, work with them and uh, produce reports which change or can influence the way government mm-hmm. works. So at the moment, for example, we're doing something on uh, the, the whole way that uh, online harms mm, come yeah, out. Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a big issue for us at the moment because we're living during the COVID pandemic mm-hmm. and there's a lot of disinformation mm-hmm. about COVID. So what the select committee that I'm sitting on is doing is trying to work out what we can do about online harms, mm-hmm. how we can hold the big social media companies to account. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you breach copyright, mm-hmm. if you uh, play a wee bit of, of a clip from a football game, mm-hmm. they'll take you down Instantly. in an instant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you post a clip that says that having a COVID mm-hmm. vaccination will kill you or make you grow an extra eye in the middle of your forehead, it can stay up. It can for go around the world. It's the, the old thing about the uh, absolutely a lie. A, lie, a lie being halfway around the world yeah. before the truth's got its boots on. Precisely. Yeah. So I'm working quite hard on... <laughs> mm-hmm. On, on that, and I'm a, actively involved with the Epilepsy Society mm-hmm. at the moment. One of the things I'm working on is, and who would have thought this was possible? Do you know that there are people who send flashing images to epileptic 
children mm. in the hope that it will trigger seizures wow. uh, amongst the children. And so I'm working with them to try and get this made a criminal offence. What, what a brutal thing to do. Isn't it's it bizarre? Yeah. What mm. can a person, mm. what can a person who do that mm. to somebody? Yeah. Because mm. some folk can be killed by that. Indeed. You, yeah. you, could, you could fall, knock, knock, knock your head over. Mm. You could be on a, on a railway platform mm. and fall under yeah. a train. It's a really serious thing to do. And, and what's, uh, what's great is that when I introduced the idea that we should legislate about this, my Tory and Labour colleagues said, very good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's put it into the bill. Mm-hmm. So my point is that you can mm-hmm. actually do quite good work in the select committee, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be tribal. Okay. Well, let, I mean that that is the case, and I've experienced that myself on select committees. It, often when it gets a government, obviously that's a different matter altogether when they look at those kinds of things. But let's look at what's uh, happening in Scotland uh, just now, and uh, under the brief, particularly the uh, media uh, side of things. Um, TV-wise, BBC is a public broadcaster with STV in the private sector. Pretty much all of our newspapers are owned outside Scotland. And our radio uh, landscape is populated by a variety of local stations. In your view, is Scotland adequately served at the moment? No, it's not. Uh, The newspapers are owned by too few people and they're too uniform Mm -hmm. in their views. You only have to look back to the last independence referendum that we had and every front page screamed, mm-hmm. largely ill-informed or deliberately false propaganda about what an independent Scotland would mean. Mm-hmm. I'm a great champion of press freedom, and of course we should have... Uh, well, you've free- stood up many times to, 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 uh, to argue for that. Yeah. I have done. Uh, yeah. There should, of course, be freedom of expression, but it is not healthy in a society as diverse as ours where half the population believe in independence, mm-hmm. for there to be no newspapers whatsoever that champion that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something I don't like, and I speak as a journalist myself, is the way in which we've moved from newspapers. When I was younger, newspapers largely covered the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what they were about. And today, a lot of the newspapers are about opinion, and a lot of political journalists aren't really journalists, they're polemicists. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole load of journalists I don't pick up the phone to, because I don't, <laughs> think, they're, they yeah. don't think they're journalists. Mm-hmm. And I know whatever I say, they're, they're, they're not going to report my, my views. They, they've accurately. already decided what they're going to decided. Gonna, and print, as a journalist, yeah. one, of the, one of the great joys of journalism is actually to find out what other mm-hmm. people think. Yeah. When I first ran as an SNP candidate, I remember Alex Salmond, I, I was told, expressed astonishment that uh, I was an independent supporter because <laughs> although yeah. he'd watched me over the years, I'd interviewed him many mm-hmm. times, I'd even had dinner with him, mm-hmm. he had no idea what my politics were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He suspected I was probably Labour, but he mm-hmm. didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's how it should be. I don't want to know yeah. what journalists' private political views are. If they want mm-hmm. to write a column, yeah. that's different. Yeah. But I don't want to know what their uh, views are. So I think we're ill-served by the print press. As for television, I'm a great supporter of public service broadcasting. Mm. and um, But do we get enough of it? I mean, BBC Scotland's, what, five hours a day, is it? Um, we, we, pay, we pay for much more than we get. Of course we do, yeah. yeah. Um, and as you know, I argued very um, strenuously for a separate Scottish six o'clock mm-hmm. news. Did, yeah. Because I thought it would be very good just for... On, on the main BBC... On track. BBC One. Yeah, indeed, yeah. So, because at the moment, if you turn on BBC uh, Six O'Clock News, you'll get English Health, English Education, English Transport, mm-hmm. English Sport. 
which is all fine, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't follow what most of us as journalists would regard as the, 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 the basic rule of thumb, which mm-hmm. is it, it, they should be, your, your running order should be driven by, by the, the news agenda and news importance. Mm-hmm. So I wanted a separate Scottish Six, so that if the big story of the day was national, you'd run that top. If it was UK, you'd run that top. If it was world, you'd run that top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did prevail in the end, except that BBC Scotland responded by setting up a Scotland channel mm-hmm. with a nine o'clock news, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, comes from Scotland. And I think it's been a success. The yeah, viewing I, figures aren't yeah. quite what they should be because it's yeah. a bit hard to find. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely shown that the argument that was put by the Scottish mm-hmm. Conservatives, for instance, which was that there was no appetite for it, that it would be SNP propaganda, mm-hmm. yeah. remember they argued that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or that it was technologically impossible. All of that has been disproved. It's a mm-hmm. very good product. And I think we should get it onto BBC One. Okay, well, let's uh, carry on talking about that because broadcast media obviously plays an important role in our democratic process. And many of the listeners to this podcast will remember that during the 2014 referendum, uh, the head-to-head debates. Um, does that model risk turning serious discussions into something of a soundbite shouting match? Is there a better way of doing that? Now, after I left university, I was a speechwriter in the United States mm-hmm. Senate. So I, I, I was a student debater mm-hmm. as well. So I enjoy debating. It's, it's it, the cut and thrust of debate. Sometimes, of course, it can just be theater. We mm-hmm. talked about Prime Minister's questions. Yeah. But sometimes it can be an opportunity for you to assess the cut of the jib of the politician concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and most countries have head-to-heads at the time of general elections. The, the sitting prime minister or first minister traditionally doesn't like to do it because it gives the challenger equal status. Mm-hmm. But uh, with our first minister, I think we are lucky that we have somebody who's an absolutely mm-hmm. superb debater. I don't know where, where she gets her energy from. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, her, her mastery of the brief, I know from, at all briefs, from, I know from people who work on it, her office is is quite extraordinary mm-hmm. and I think she radiates uh, a calmness mm-hmm. when she debates which I think is really quite important for floating voters because they're trying to imagine aren't they what Scotland would be like as an independent country on the international stage yeah. what our first minister would look like mm-hmm. at EU summits mm-hmm. how she would uh, conduct ourselves mm-hmm. and as recent polls have shown we're looking at the COP conference coming up mm-hmm. overwhelming majority of Scots whether they're independent supporters or not mm-hmm. think that Nicola Sturgeon would represent Scotland more effectively at COP than Boris Johnson was well, a bit of a no-brainer but mm-hmm. nonetheless it does show that people I think see her as a leader who's not just a national leader but uh, somebody with international standing. So I think these I think these debates at the time of general elections are quite effective at getting people yeah. to focus. So yeah. I, I, I have no problem with them. But, but would you also like to see maybe a, a, the, the adoption of uh, models like we see in Scandinavia where you've got you know, big and small parties, you know, you know, maybe even about 12 or so of them, with lots more interactive uh, discussion from the public and so forth. Well, I've, um, I've only ever been in one party, which is the SNP, <laughs> and I joined the SNP yeah. when I was 16. I think the only other party I've ever voted for is the Greens, 
when I lived in mm. England. Oh, that's not true. I voted. I think I voted Labour once for my friend, yeah. uh, who's running against George Galloway in Tower Hamlets, <laughs> Una King, and yeah. I voted. I voted Labour. I voted Labour then. Um, I tell you what I think we really miss. I think we miss long form political interviews. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Uh, and it, to some extent, it's because of social media and 24-hour news circle. But it's too easy for politicians to escape scrutiny, mm-hmm. I think, with sound bites. Mm-hmm. And I used to love watching Brian Walden as a kid. I remember those, yes. World. Mm-hmm. And he would sit... L- listeners will have to appreciate you have to be a certain vintage to uh, remember a certain Brian Walden. Well, <laughs> Brian, Brian, Brian Walden was a, was a Labour MP who did a programme called Weekend World mm-hmm. on ITV. And it was on at lunchtime. And precocious little brat that I was, I used to lie as a kid uh, on the floor, and I used to I used to watch um, that. And what I loved about it was he would take a, a squirming politician, and he would pursue that politician for forty five minutes until there was no way out, and you couldn't escape. And I, in due course, worked in the successor program. Lots of the production team from that program moved on to on the record mm-hmm. at the BBC, and that was my first gig as a, as a young reporter uh, having moved down to London. I think we miss programmes like that where politicians really get sustained cross-examination. Many other European countries have programmes like that and it's no surprise that Boris Johnson refused to appear uh, on the Andrew Neil programme yeah. at the last election. Yeah. Now, I know Andrew Neil's a controversial figure in to our the least, movement yeah. <laughs> and we all know just politics are privately yeah. but I would defend him as a journalist at the BBC yeah. because having been interviewed by him many many times he is a tenacious interviewer and he gives as hard a time to folk whom he privately supports as he does to political opponents. Mm. Yeah. Boris Johnson's too scared to do yeah. the interview, didn't turn well, up. Well, we've both been grilled by Andrew Neil. But uh, Andrew Neil used yeah. to do yeah. this week, yeah. lots of times, his late night Thursday mm-hmm. programme. You yeah. remember you used to sit on the red velvet sofa? I, I remember it well. <laughs> and it was all cosy and lovely until he suddenly yeah. attacked you. Yeah. And then you had to suddenly you know, snap to yeah. wake up and yeah. get ready to defend yourself or your or your politics. But, but that's fine, isn't it? As long as that's happening to all parties. You mentioned Boris Johnson just ducking out, you know, doing whatever he's hiding in a fridge routine, yeah. you know, where, uh, where he just Shameful. doesn't want to be under scrutiny. So there surely sh- should be a, a kind of onus on politicians to make sure that they're available from that kind of scrutiny. The thing is with Boris Johnson, because he's protected by a print uh, media that mm-hmm. is so supportive of him, yeah. because he has established Trumpian post-truth politics in the UK. We've now got to a stage where he will lie and lie and lie mm-hmm. again. And mm-hmm. that's not a word I throw around. I use no, that no, word it, very rarely. I think it's a matter of fact now, not is, a matter it, of opinion. It, it, yeah. it is indeed. And yeah. he, he lies repeatedly in a way I've never known any other political leader to do. Yeah. And he's not challenged about it in the way that he should be. You know that place that we, we go to every day, the Tory backbenchers absolutely loathe mm-hmm. Boris Johnson. Oh yeah, yeah. I've spoken to many privately. Just can't stand him. One of them yeah. asked yeah. to meet me in private before yeah. he voted for him because he said he was so he, he was worried about being embarrassed seeing me the next yeah. time he passed me having <laughs> voted for him. And I said, oh, obviously, I wouldn't say who it is because he asked me not to. But he, I, I said to him, so what? Why are you voting for this man that you despise? And he said, well, it's because I think the Conservative Party faces an existential crisis that Farage could overwhelm us. 
and he's the only person who seems to touch mm. uh, a large proportion mm. of the English voter and we think he'll win the election for mm -hmm. us and the Tory party is nothing if not ruthless about its leaders. Indeed. If you're a vote loser, you're at the windy. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a vote winner... They'll excuse all of your faults and I mean all of them, yeah. And they'll laugh yeah. sycophantically yeah. at you as they do to him but his day, his day will come and he will be we, out. We, you, you were talking about Andrew Neil being a controversial figure in our movement. The, another thing that's controversial is obviously the, the BBC and the way it... Um, it's perceived to operate. It's obviously a British institution that's in its name. I mean, it's just a matter of fact. Uh, but the vast majority of BBC resources are spent in England. Are you concerned by the studies that were carried out uh, after the 2014 referendum that showed there was a bias towards protecting uh, the union? I mean, we saw things like apologies from journalists and uh, and so forth. Was that, is that something that concerned you at all? I've worked at the BBC, uh, and I worked at the BBC a long time ago. I was only ever freelancers. I think a lot of people think that you go in through the door at the, the start of the working day and you're given your orders by some uh, management Svengali <laughs> and told yeah. what to do or say or think that day. I've only ever been told what to say once mm -hmm. at the BBC and that was when the Queen Mother died mm -hmm. and there was nobody there was nobody outside our coffin and mm -hmm. there, were, there was no queues and there was a velvet rope uh -huh. going for half a mile up the street and I said describing the scenes live on air I said well there's nobody here hardly it's hardly and what a contrast with Princess Diana no, oh, and I was <laughs> called it by my boss you would have got <laughs> and I was told I had to say the queues are slowly building. <laughs> and I went, like hell, I'll say yeah, that. I'm yeah, not yeah. living in North Korea. Yeah. You will not tell me to yeah. tell the viewers to that they're seeing something that they're not actually seeing. So I refused to do it. And that's the only time. I, you know, I, if I had to hazard a guess, mm -hmm. I would say clear majority of BBC Scotland journalists are pro-independence. Mm -hmm. I know a lot Mm -hmm. of the journalists of BBC Scotland. I know, I know their private politics. Mm -hmm. And they are not, I think, as lots of people think. So why did the BBC behave in the way that it behaved mm -hmm. at the last uh, yeah. referendum? Mm -hmm. I think the answer is because it is an establishment institution and it, as a result, it subjects the challenger to more scrutiny mm -hmm. than the establishment. Mm -hmm. So they used a model that was inappropriate for a binary referendum. Mm -hmm. So you had three parties against independence and one party, one big party in favour of independence. So the, the, the way that they allocated time and scrutiny tended to be three to mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Whereas of course, the union should have been subjected to the same level of scrutiny that independence was. And I remember talking to a high heaton at the BBC in the aftermath. Mm -hmm. And the BBC's public position, because terrible at apologising, and its public position was, we make no mistakes. Mm -hmm. But privately they said to me, we will learn from our mistakes in the referendum in our coverage of Brexit. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, how can you learn from your mistakes if you haven't made any mistakes? <laughs> um, so I, I think there's a widespread recognition mm -hmm. that they didn't cover themselves in glory, I think, at the time of the last referendum. But I always remind people, that it's a public service broadcaster and we should be careful what we mm, wish for indeed. as a replacement mm -hmm. because in that place where we work the commons the tories hate the bbc oh yeah mm -hmm. and they hate channel four mm -hmm. because well, they're trying to destroy channel four trying to yeah. privatize it again yeah. they think uh, the bbc and channel four are packed with anti-establishment lefties and i have to say working at the bbc in politics i met gave mm -hmm. you 
Tory voters mm-hmm. amongst the journalists mm-hmm. who work there. Yeah. Uh, the other thing you've got to remember is the BBC is not just about news. Mm-hmm. The BBC is about drama and arts. It's about orchestras. Mm-hmm. It's about pop. It's yeah. about Gaelic. Mm-hmm. It's about education. Indeed. The number of people who work at BBC Scotland who are actually involved in the news is tiny mm-hmm. as a percentage of the overall work, uh, workplace. Um, and it provides a lot of jobs in the arts and the creative sector. Um, and I mentioned, I mentioned the nine earlier mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And I think, as a regular viewer of The Nine, uh, as an independent supporter, I find the journalism in The Nine objective and mm-hmm. fair. Well, you said earlier that you, you, you don't really want to know what the politics are of the journalist that's uh, interviewing you. And if you, if you get to that point where you're actually kind of seeing that balance unfold, that's good. I think I agree with you about The Nine. Other things, obviously, you know, people are get quite upset because they think some people are getting a softer ride than others. I think that ability to have level scrutiny is really important, um, isn't it? And I want to move on to something uh, a little bit different, but you were talking about the opportunities and, you know, for the, the all the employment within the BBC and all the different things. And obviously we have the situation where we pay a lot more in Scotland for what we get back. But, but let's move on to the uh, the opportunities for TV and film. In a previous Scotland's Choice podcast, I was chatting with uh, Angus Robertson, MSP, about He's my opposite number. In, indeed, and he was talking about the opportunities, the economic benefits that we can have from a thriving film and TV sector in Scotland. What what do you feel we're currently doing about this, and how could independence give us more levers to build that? Well, I think the Irish have shown what you can do with with that. Um, and we do, we have an incredible creative uh, sector and our filmmaking in Scotland is, is flourishing. Kelvin Halls mm-hmm. in Glasgow is just opening just now, which is going to give us... Screen Scotland have been very active in helping that along, haven't they? I- yeah. in- indeed, and uh, we've, we've thought of what I think was going to be um, a bit of a power grab from BBC in London over, uh, over one of the, the large studios at BBC Scotland headquarters, which they wanted to run from London and uh, lots of whistleblowers the BBC told me about it. I made a big stushy about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, BBC Scotland, I think, privately were very glad that I did. And as a result, it's going to remain managed from BBC Scotland. And that really matters because the people who work there, and we're talking about drama, people who work there have got all the contacts in the freelance sector in Scotland. So all the people who do sound and lighting and costumes and everything else that will rely on Scottish-run uh, broadcasts and dramas. Uh, I think we're very, uh, we're very glad about that because one of the things we've seen is uh, what's called lift and shift. Mm-hmm. So companies that claim to be Scottish companies for tax and other mm-hmm. advantages yeah. aren't really Scottish yeah. companies at all. So mm-hmm. what they do is they'll set themselves up with a, with, you know, with a with a, a name plate, a plaque, a plaque, yeah. A plaque yeah. exactly, yeah. a plaque in Scotland, mm-hmm. um, and transport everybody up to Scotland to make something. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they're not really. Uh, a Scottish company. I hope with the benefits that will come from independence, we'll be able to make it as advantageous as possible to attract companies to come mm-hmm. to work here. Because Scotland's a great location and it's got great talent, but I think it could be even greater still mm-hmm. yeah. with with the powers that independence would and give it, us, as it, Ireland yeah. shows every day. Exactly so. And I think building the new studios has obviously been uh, 
uh, enormously helpful. There's some really great productions that are happening in Scotland just now, and it's clearly a place where people want to come. Look at Outlander. Exactly. I was going to say Outlander's just one, but I think there's a there's another couple of Amazon series that are underway. I think Jamie from Outlander follows me on Twitter. Oh, well, there you and, go. And so we've exchanged a few messages. And every time, <laughs> every time I tell my female. Uh, staff, oh, there's yeah. another message, can I just call him Jamie? Yeah. Uh, another message from Jamie, I wish he'd stop pestering me with these uh, d- yeah. Uh, DMs. Yeah. Well, I'm going to one-up Jealousy, you. I'm, I'm going to one-up you on that, because on the Outlander theme, um, I actually had a conversation with William Shatner, Captain Kirk. Oh, did you know? <laughs> about this on Twitter, yeah. Um, but uh, He's he was, very funny. He, he was very funny, and he was jokingly a critic of uh, Outlander. And, uh, I, uh, the best I can get... generated a lot of attention for the it. The best yeah. I can get from the Trekkie front is I once, I once interviewed Scotty yeah. um, and asked him to do Scottish accent. Fantastic which, Irish actor, yeah. Oh, the <laughs> accent. I said to him, you do know how bad that is. And he said, yeah, everybody... Everybody tells me, he said, what's the worst bit? I said, when you see the lithium crystals and a, <laughs> and a Scottish accent, it is, it is toe-curlingly bad. And he said, I've made a great career out of it. Indeed. Well, talking about toe-curlingly bad, just let's, uh, <laughs> let's segue back a bit. Because earlier on in this uh, discussion, uh, John, we were talking about uh, newspapers um, and so forth. And we all remember those infamous uh, parallel headlines in the different versions, the Scottish and English versions of the Daily Mail. So, you know, one in Scotland saying that pensions are safe with a no vote, you know, putting that scare out. And the very same day, there's a side-by-side, there's the English version saying that UK pensions are worse than ever. Given the situation with the print-based media in Scotland, what do you see are the opportunities for independence in that sector? Well, we have to remember that newspaper reading is um, is a demographic demographic issue mm-hmm. now, and as somebody who loves newspapers, and I, I buy newspapers and I like to have a newspaper in my hand, I like to have yeah. books in my hand rather than a Kindle as well, and um, that's just my I suppose my age background and my <laughs> and also my career as a as a as a journalist, I get particularly fondness for it. But do you ever go into the subway or the tube or the bus and see a young person reading a newspaper? You never do, no. Absolutely never. Mm-hmm. It, it, newspapers, and I think it's one of the reasons that they've become so shrill in many ways, is they're all about clickbait now, mm-hmm. aren't they? Yeah. And the Scotsman, the Herald, are sad disappointments these days as newspapers. And they're just, they're just screaming at an ever-decreasing demographic to try and get attention and it, to try and get readership. Given, given that, that that's the situation in Scotland, how, how does, it, how does a, a small country like Iceland with, for example, 350,000 of a population manage to maintain 12 news outlets then? It, they, they must be doing something very Drew, different. Drew, have you ever watched the news outlets in Iceland? <laughs> no, I haven't. No, no. I have. I used to go backwards and forwards to Iceland yeah. uh, quite a lot because I used to, yeah. I, I went to university in the States and used yeah. to travel. I hope no Icelanders are listening, but uh, my goodness, they are not exciting. <laughs> and uh, and mm-hmm. COD and Haddock play a major role in the, the news you, output. You could argue evening. those are the important issues of the day. And you uh, might, but they're not. They don't exactly <laughs> hold you at the edge of your at the edge of your yeah. your seat. No yeah. disrespect uh, to them uh, whatsoever. Uh, we've got a glorious uh, journalistic tradition, and we have some very mm-hmm. we have some fine newspaper. A journalist. So is I've, it? I think on. I mean, 
I'm not saying anything revolutionary, online yeah. is clearly the way forward. So it, is it about us developing a, a more uh, robust digital industry in the future then, do you think? Is, is I, that I, where it's going? I think it's definitely that. And I think some some of the players have been uh, very uh, shrewd. The Daily Mail, for example, mm-hmm. which you think of as this really old-fashioned, right-wing, mm-hmm. conservative mm-hmm. institution. And it's a way ahead of the game when it comes mm. to Daily Mail digital. online. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been very forward to thinking mm-hmm. on digital. And tell you something else it does, which a lot of people don't realise. It, it publishes a lot of its stories in the United States, mm. which puts it out with our laws in ah. terms in terms of uh, in, in, in terms of getting retractions ah, right okay so that's really interesting I don't think uh, I think many listeners won't have been aware of that it, it look Again, I want, I want to move on because it's such a wide brief um, that you've got to cover. So let's talk about music now, um, something I know that you enjoy, I do as well. A great Scottish export. Bands and artists, traditional and contemporary, have enjoyed fantastic success, particularly across Europe with our uh, near neighbours. In, uh, in the times we're in just now, in the absence of freedom of movement and the right to work across re- uh, Europe as a result of Brexit, um, it's harder now for our musicians to tour, isn't it? It's a tragedy, mm. and it's really important, and it's really serious. Because a, a year ago, you could travel mm. anywhere uh, across the whole of, of Europe, and there was no impediments mm-hmm. put in, in your way. Um, these days, if you want to go and play in, um, in say, Madrid, for mm-hmm. example, it's going to cost you hundreds and hundreds of euros per night for a visa. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're yeah. a young band starting out, you can't afford mm-hmm. that. If yeah. you're an orchestra, mm-hmm. you can't afford that. Our great orchestras, we're not noticing this, of course, mm-hmm. because of COVID. Yeah. But if it were not for COVID, we'd all be realising that our great orchestras, our theatres, the National Theatre, mm-hmm. is no longer able to tour in Europe because of the cost of visas. It's also going to kill the road haulage industry mm-hmm. yep. because at the moment, uh, if you're an orchestra traveling to Europe, for example, you hire a truck here, you crisscross the borders, you'll be in Belgium one day, the Netherlands the next, Luxembourg the next. You're not going to be able to do that. The yep. lorries are going to have mm-hmm. to return to base without making those journeys. And as a result, a lot of the lorry companies, the, the transport companies are going to pick themselves up from Scotland and they're going to establish in Europe. Yeah, because they have to. Many have already because done they this, have to. of course. Yeah. Now, was this all just clumsiness mm. or carelessness? Yeah. Well, David Frost, now Lord Frost, mm-hmm. who negotiated the disastrous Brexit Treaty, before, appeared before the Select Committee, and uh, he was quite open about it. They simply decided to throw artists, musicians, actors, the haulage industry under the bus mm-hmm. months before the conclusion mm-hmm. of the uh, Brexit Treaty. He admitted that. He didn't talk to the Digital uh, Culture Media mm-hmm. uh, Department about it. They were surprised about it. They were mm-hmm. caught unawares. And again, breaking a promise that they'd made that this wouldn't be the case for Absolutely. musicians. And, it artists, is a, yeah. and interestingly, on the committee, some of the Brexiteers mm-hmm. were really furious with Lord Frost mm-hmm. about it because uh, he basically conceded that uh, what we'd argued as people opposed to Brexit was yeah. right all along, yeah. mm-hmm. which was that it would be disastrous. Mm-hmm. The f- lack of free movement would be disastrous. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's truly terrible, and I, I it's it, it's such a blow to the creative sector in Scotland, well, it, which employs so many people. A recent survey showed that about seventy-seven percent of artists that would have 
touring Europe are, are predicting the, a drop in their earnings. I think that that's a collapse. Uh, in their yeah, earnings. a collapse in their earnings. A you know, good twenty-one percent are saying, according to the same survey, are saying that they they're looking at a change of career because of the impacts on Brexit. That affects the economy. It affects everything else. And of course. We, we can anticipate that now being spun into line that Scotland somehow can't afford uh, independence because we, we see the value of all these things drop. This is, I cover international trade. We're going to lose £9 billion in GDP between now and 2030 because of Brexit. You know, It's really important to get the message out there that we could have a different future for not only for our economy, but particularly for our culture and artists with independence, isn't it? Well, I, I noticed the, the band Texas mm-hmm. uh, just tweeted the other day to say that they yeah. are no supporters of independence because of Brexit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people in the centre ground of Scottish politics who weren't persuaded of independence before because there's a lot of people and again our folk in our movement and social media sometimes don't talk to these people but yeah you've got to talk to these people go out canvassing canvassing and you'll you'll meet them a lot of people wanted to be Scottish British Mm -hmm. and European Mm -hmm. but Brexit has removed that choice from Mm -hmm. them so what they've got to work out is whether they want to be part of Boris Johnson's narrow Brexit Britain that little insular Brexit Britain and getting smaller day by day. And parochial yeah. and mm-hmm. angry and increasingly racist. Or do they want to be mm-hmm. uh, like Denmark in the European mm-hmm. Union? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I can't pretend I'm neutral on the subject, no, no, having no. always supported no. independence. But I do get the strong sense, and I mentioned the ban Texas just now, a lot of people are just thinking, I've got to choose. And I think mm. I want to be Denmark rather than and Little I think Britain. Th- this, uh, th- th- this podcast is all about the run-up to the referendum. And I think that will persuade a lot of people. And as we've discussed on previous podcasts, it's so important to reach out to former no voters in 2014 Absolutely. and point out these things to them. Because, of, of course, Scotland has no powers to deal with that issue just now because immigration is reserved to Westminster. And we're strong supporters of immigration. Yeah. And if you remember, Michael Gove floated the idea during his leadership campaign that Scotland mm-hmm. should control its own immigration, then we're told this is impossible. Mm-hmm. But of course it's not because Quebec mm-hmm. does it in Canada within a unitary state. And if we want to continue to pay pensions and have a world-class national health service, mm-hmm. we have an aging population of course, yeah. and we need to attract people yeah. to to uh, to come in the country. But you know, I, I, I don't know if you picked up on this, Drew, but I think the big difference between 2014 and the next referendum is in 2014, European Union leaders did absolutely everything to help the unionist cause. Mm, yeah. And they, they tried to help David Cameron. But these days, the Tories have no friends in Brussels. No. And I, I was in Berlin a little while ago, and I spoke to the chair of the Treasury Select Committee, the equivalent uh, over there, Christian Democrat, Mrs mm-hmm. Merkel's party, Conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, party and he told me on camera that uh, that Scotland would gain faster and easier uh, entry re-entry to the European Union than any applicant in history and mm-hmm. I said to him why mm-hmm. what about this famous queue that we always hear yeah. about that we're behind on we're well, behind Albania. Yeah. We all know this, don't we? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, people repeat. Andrew Neil's forever talking oh, about yeah, it. Oh, he's always talking about it. And I keep yeah. telling him, yeah. Andrew, yeah. you're too bright to yeah. for this. You know, yeah. there's no yeah. key. Yeah. But but uh, he knows what he's doing. That but he but he yeah. he uh, he he said to me, well, what's not to like about Scotland? It's got hundred uh, percent literacy. It's got no corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got the longest uh, sea border in 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 in, in Europe renewables, we, we know the list of things that Scotland yeah. has. John, 
Um, it's been fascinating talking with you today, but finally I want to ask you, across this wide brief of digital culture, media and sport, where do you see the main opportunities for the people of Scotland through independence? Well, I think, I think it will help creativity flourish. We've talked about the film industry. I think that will flourish. I think the media landscape will become more diverse. I, I think, I'm hoping there'll be more home-owned mm -hmm. yeah. uh, uh, companies than we have at the moment. We won't have to, uh, we won't have to fight off uh, Channel 4 privatisation or the mm -hmm. equivalent yeah. uh, thereof. You know, I've, I've held a lot of meetings over the last few weeks with small independent producers who absolutely rely on Channel 4 in order to fund their companies. Mm -hmm. And they are in meltdown mm -hmm. at the moment because the Tories are coming to privatise Channel 4. I helped fight it off a couple of years ago. This time they're back, but this time they're back with an 80 seat majority. Right. And I think, I suspect between these four walls, that they might get their way. Well, these four walls, and all, obviously, all of our listeners with their own walls. Um, <laughs> I think I think they, I will do everything yeah. possible to yeah. try and stop it. And, yeah. But a eighty seat majority is a it, it is. Is, is is a yeah. powerful tool in Number Ten's arsenal. Why why are we in the business of privatising Channel Four, which is so diverse, which meets its remit for decentralisation, mm. which produces a high quality hour-long programme every night, which does cracking uh, journalism like uh, Unreported World. The mm -hmm. Unreported World would never be made by a privatised company. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I talk to a lot of people on Channel 4 who tell me they would love to set up in an independent Scotland, mm -hmm. um, and they certainly wouldn't face privatisation if they did. Mm, indeed. Well, John, uh, once again, thank you for joining you. us on Scotland's Choice. Pleasure. So there we have it. Independence offers the opportunity for better action over disinformation, better print and broadcast media, which provides more in-depth scrutiny to hold leaders to account. Scotland has a massive opportunity to create and facilitate more films and drama. Our touring musicians would be able to flourish and not only be, as Tory Brexit negotiator Lord Frost admitted, thrown under the bus. My thanks once again to John Nicholson and to you for listening. Don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. I'm Drew Hendry and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. 